So the Bible is clear that every believer, every follower of Jesus is involved in a war, a war against sin and against Satan. But the good news is that God has given us weapons with which to fight this war, weapons that are more powerful than sin, more powerful than Satan. And this weapon that God has given us is called the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the Bible. So what God wants us doing is when we find ourselves tempted, when we find that we are discouraged, when we find that our our unbelief is growing and faith is, is diminishing, God wants us to pick up the sword, to wage war with the sword, to open up the Scriptures, to find a passage that would speak to whatever temptation or discouragement or unbelief we're facing, and to read those passages, and to pray those passages, and to preach to ourselves those passages. Because as we do that, as we wage war with the sword of the Spirit, which is more powerful than sin and more powerful than Satan, we will gain the victory every time. He promises that. It's the power of the Word of God. But now there's a problem. And the problem is that many of us don't know the Scriptures well enough to wage war with them. And the reason we don't know the scriptures is because, for whatever reason, we don't regularly study the scriptures. We don't regularly read the scriptures. I'm sure that's not true for all of of us, but I'm sure that there are some of us here where regular study and reading of the scriptures is not not a regular rhythm of your life. You're here Friday mornings where we teach the word, and that's good, that's helpful. You might have a devotional book that you read, regularly, which talks about a verse or two, and and that's helpful. But statistics have shown that many, many followers of Jesus do not regularly study the Bible for themselves. There's lots of different reasons for this. One reason is we just don't know how. How do we study the Bible? This is a big, intimidating book. Another reason is maybe you've tried to study the Bible and kind of got lost and just couldn't figure out what was going on in the passage and just ended up closing it. I don't think this is for me. I'll just go on Fridays. Or another reason, maybe you don't feel like you're a very good reader. Maybe you thought reading was what I did back in school. Been out of school now for many years. It's too late to pick it back up again. I'm just not going to start over again. All kinds of different reasons. But see, think of what this means. And again, I said statistics show that a surprisingly large number of people who, are, who love Christ and are devoted to Christ don't regularly read and study the Bible on their own. But think of what that means. If we're not studying the Bible, then we're not, we're not learning the Bible. And if we're not learning the Bible, then more often than not, we won't be picking up the, the sword to go into battle, which means we're going into battle swordless, which would be suicidal, Right? So if we're not regularly reading, studying the Bible, then individually we are weaker than we need to be. Not only individually are we weaker than we need to be, but but as a church we'll be weaker than we need to be. Your brothers and sisters need you to be studying the Scriptures so you can encourage them with the Scriptures. And so if we're not studying the Bible on our own, 
then we'll be as a church weaker than we need to be. And if we as a church are weaker than we need to be, then Jesus won't be as glorified in Abu Dhabi as he deserves to be because we won't be shining as brightly with his light as we ought to be. So do you feel what's at stake in this? And it's for these reasons that the the elders, the steering team, we've decided that God is calling us, we believe God's calling us over this next season to work hard as a church on how to study the Bible, how to study the Scriptures. We're all at different levels, and we're we're trying to do this so that everyone, whatever level you're at, will be able to say, this is helpful, I'm I'm growing, I I can do this. So here's what we've done. We've developed a a plan. It's on, on the blue sheets on your chair. And if, you, if anybody doesn't have a blue sheet, there's some extras up here. We'd like to have everybody have a blue sheet. I know there are all, all, this, all the seats in the middle. I don't know if we got all, all the seats on the sides, but we put together a plan to study how to study the Bible. Now, there's lots of good approaches that are out there. And we tried to pull together the strengths of the best and put it together into a, a step-by-step, easy plan for how to study any passage of Scripture. Notice it's, what, version 6.5 or something? We spent a lot of time this last fall working on this, all right? Lots and lots of revisions and pondering and prayer over this. So this morning, what I'm going to do is take you through that sheet by studying Psalm 1, using that sheet as a guideline. So you'll get a feel of how, how might this look studying Psalm 1. Then, this week and next week in our home groups, Pastor Ben and I are going to be visiting each home group and take that home group through a Bible study using this approach on these sheets with with a different passage. So, this coming week, it'll be all the home groups except for Muhammad bin Zayed City and Al-Zaina. And then the following week, it'll be Muhammad bin Zayed City and Al-Zaina. So, in the next two weeks, we're going to cover all the home groups. Then next Friday, I'm going to teach on 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 using this same approach, which is a powerful passage on what we have in the Bible. And then two weeks from today, we're going to start a new sermon series on the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to work on studying 1 Peter together. We've done studies of books of the Bible before here at Grace Church. We do that most of the time, but we're going to do this one differently. In the past, we've preached on the passage that we're studying on Fridays, and then the following week, the home groups discuss the sermon and look at the passage. This time, we're going to switch the order. You and your home groups are going to be studying the passage first before the sermon is preached. So you dig into the text on your own. Explore. God teaches your word. Our prayer in doing it that way is that your confidence level in being able to study the Bible will grow. Your abilities in studying the Bible will grow because you're not going to be able to depend upon what was brought Friday morning to figure out the passage. You're going to be doing it on your own with your brothers and sisters helping you. So that'll happen in the home groups. And then the following Friday, we'll preach on the passage that you studied the previous week in the home groups. So you can check to see if the sermon's right or not. It's going to be really helpful. So this is where we're going. And today, we're going to start with Psalm chapter 1. So let's turn there. It'll be up here on the screen and have that sheet out that says how to study the Bible. Now, notice at the top of that sheet, it says that the first step is to pray for wisdom and revelation. 
This is so encouraging. There are many places in the scripture where we see that we are encouraged to pray that God will teach us his word. All through Psalm 119, you see that prayer. Teach me your word, Lord. Open my eyes to see glorious things in your law. These scriptures we have here on the sheet, but it's crucial to pray for God to guide us because he will answer that prayer every time. Lord, help me to see what's in this passage. Help me to see what Paul wrote. Help me to see what Moses wrote. Help me to see what David, what Peter wrote. Lord, show me what's in this passage so I'm tracking with the truth of your word. Show it to me and then help me to understand it and help me to feel it deeply. Give me wisdom to understand it and give me revelation so I see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of it. So the first step is to pray for wisdom and revelation. Second step is to understand the author's main point and how he persuades us of that main point. This is so crucial to understand. This is like the big picture of what you're trying to do in your own study. What's the author's main point in this section? And how does he explain that main point? Or how does he argue for that main point? Every passage of Scripture has a main point. And every passage of Scripture, everything else in that passage, either explains that main point or argues for, gives reasons for that main point. This is crucial to understand because for some reason, many, many people, when they start to read the Bible, they feel like each verse is just its own unique truth, disconnected from the next one, disconnected from the next one, disconnected from the next one. We don't understand that there's a flow of thought going through the passage, and it can become very confusing. It doesn't make any sense to us. That's not how the Bible is. Every verse builds on the next one, or builds to the next one, builds to the next one, builds to the next one. There's the main point, and then everything else in the passage explains that main point or gives reasons for that main point. So that's what we should be looking for as we're reading. Then, how do we discover the author's main point? That's the next question. Here are some ways to find the main point, some suggestions. First of all, use a literal translation of the Bible. So we use the ESV, the English Standard Version, in teaching, preaching here. The New American Standard Version is helpful. The NIV is a fairly literal translation. Uh, Literal translations have as their goal to tell you what Paul said, what he actually said in his letters. So translate from the Greek, what he actually said, it's right there in the English. Paraphrases tell you what they think the author meant. So there's a little bit more interpretation that goes on with the paraphrase. Now, paraphrases like the New Living Translation or the Passion Version or the Message, those can be helpful to compare, but for study, for memorization, for preaching, I think it's much wiser to use a more literal translation which tells you what Paul actually said as opposed to what somebody thinks Paul meant. So I would encourage you to use a fairly literal translation for that. Then if you're going to study a book, you might find it helpful to sit down and read the whole book at one sitting, just to get an overview before you start to break it down into sections. So get the big picture of the book. Now, for long books, that would take like Genesis, take you about three and a half hours, they estimate. Um, Romans, maybe take about an hour. Colossians, just like 20 minutes. First Peter, probably about maybe 22 or 23 minutes, all right? So you can do that. Sit down, read the whole, bo- whole book through from beginning to end. That'll give you an, an overview of what's going on in the passage. And then what you want to do is break it down, break down the book into bite-sized sections that you can study one portion at a time. What's the main point here? So 
many Bibles break it down. The ESV breaks down into sections that they think are helpful there. Um, and then you can just look at that and say, what's the main point here? You know, what are the reasons? What are the explanations? So break it down into, you wouldn't want to try to study the whole book at one sitting. That's too much to, to absorb. Start with the first section, second section, third section, and work your way through. And what you're doing then is you're reading through this, that first section. Start with your first section and read it through slowly, looking for clues that the author gives you to find the main point. So here's the good news. Authors aren't trying to hide their main point from you. Paul wants you to get his main point. Moses wants you to get his main point. David wants you to get his main point. And they give you clues to point to, like arrows. Here, main point, flashing lights, main point, main point, main point. So what we need to do is figure out what are some of the clues that authors give to help us see what the main point is. And that depends on what kind of passage you're looking at. Different kinds of passages have different main points. I don't want to get too much down into the weeds here, but see if, see if this is helpful for you. There's two main kinds of passages in the Bible. There's teaching passages where the author is just communicating truth, like God is love, or you need to trust Jesus, or be faithful to your wife. You know, there's, there's passages that are teaching truth, teaching passages like Romans, like Deuteronomy, there's teaching passages. And then there's historical passages, which are telling you about events, telling you about history. Books like Genesis, books like Acts, books like the Gospel according to Matthew. Does that make sense? So there's teaching passages, and then there's historical passages. And both of those have slightly different clues to help you see what the main point is. The way to find main points in teaching passages is especially to notice commands, because commands are always main points. And if there's no commands, then look for statements that are followed by the word therefore. So, da 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 therefore, God is love. Well, that's the main point. That word therefore just shows you. Or statements that are followed by for or because or since. So, God is love because, da 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 you know, the main point is God is love. Does that make sense? So, commands or therefores or senses or becauses, those are all points ways the author is pointing out. This is the main point here. Now, in, in uh, historical passages, a little bit differently, because here the author is giving you events. So how can you tell what the main point is in a passage with events? Well, notice what the author emphasizes about each event. Notice what the people involved in the event are saying. Notice which events the author chooses to describe and how those events are connected and what is emphasized in those events. That'll point you to what the main point is. Does that make sense? Two kinds of scripture, teaching scriptures, historical scriptures. Now let's try this with Psalm chapter 1, see if we can figure out the main point. Are you ready? Put your thinking caps on, we used to say. All right, here we go. So what is the main point of Psalm one. And look at the very first verse. First, we want to figure out, is this teaching passage or is this a historical passage? And the very first verse says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Is that describing an event that took place? No. Is that describing a t something being taught? Yes. Okay, let's try that again. Is that an event that's taking place? No, thank you. Is it a truth being taught? Yes, yeah, so what we're looking for here is, is there any command in this passage? Is there any command here? Let's read through the verses and see if we can find a command. Now, I want to, let me just give you a couple of hints. There's no explicit 
command in this passage, but I think that there are implied commands. Let's read it through, see if you agree with me. Verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Did you notice the implied commands? When the author says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, what's he saying? He's saying, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. You see that? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, I want to be blessed. He's telling me, if you want to be blessed, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. So the commands are, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. So three things we should not do. What should we do? Delight in the law of the Lord, and in the law of the Lord meditate day and night. So there's five commands in this passage. Three don'ts and two do's. Got that? Verses one and two. Is that clear? See, so we're just asking the question, what's the main point? This is a teaching passage. In teaching passages, commands are always the main point. We've just started off with five commands right there. Here we go. Now, let me mention I think delighting in the law of the Lord, that's like the Old Testament law, right? And we can think of all these things about don't eat shellfish, you know, and all that kind of stuff. The Old Testament law of the Lord does contain those laws, which Jesus said are no longer applicable to us, but the Old Testament is also full of descriptions of God's mercy, God's love, God's faithfulness, God's justice is there, just like in the New Testament, the coming of the Messiah, pointing to Jesus, learning about Jesus. So yes, we delight in the law of the Lord as New Testament believers, but this would also apply to the whole Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. So our application today is going to be this. Here's how I've put these commands in my own, my own words. I think that these commands can all be summarized as don't be influenced by sinful people. Don't be influenced by sinful people, but instead delight in and study the law of the Lord, God's word. Does that make sense? Don't be influenced by sinful people, but delight in and study God's word. I think that's the main point of Psalm 1, which means that everything else in this psalm either explains those commands or gives reasons for those commands. This was so helpful when I first saw this about a passage. So everything is either a main point or it's a reason for that main point or an explanation of that main point. Okay, so let's look at the rest of the passage then to see how every part of Psalm 1 supports or explains this main point. So as I read through this whole passage again, my conclusion is that the whole rest of the passage gives five reasons for why we should not be influenced by sinful people, 
and instead delight ourselves in and study God's word. Five reasons for why. So if you're not persuaded yet, I love how God had the biblical authors give us reasons for why we should obey commands. Don't you love that? Because honestly, much of the time, I'm not very motivated. I mean, is that terrible to hear a pastor say that? That's just how it is. Much of the time, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm not motivated to do that. That's why God gives us reasons. Because Fuller needs reasons. And you need reasons. And as we pray over the reasons, the Holy Spirit will change our hearts. So we say, yes, I do not want to be influenced by sinful people. I delight in God's Word. I want to study God's Word. These reasons are awesome. Thank you for the reasons. So don't just focus on commands. Look for the reasons and the explanations. And I, I think there's five reasons in this chapter for why we should not be influenced by sinful people, but instead delight in and study the law of the Lord. The first reason is because if we do, we will be blessed, right? That's obviously a reason. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Blessed is. Now, that, that Hebrew word for blessed here means happy. Happy is. There's, there's two different Hebrew words for blessed. Some mean to speak well of. Like when we say, bless the name of the Lord, we're saying, speak well of God, praise him, exalt him. That's one Hebrew word. This Hebrew word, though, is happy, ashray. So happy, blessed, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So what the author is saying, what God is saying to us through this, is that if we will not be influenced by sinful people, but delight in and study God's word, we will be happy. Now, now you might be thinking, wait a minute. You're telling me that if I delight in the Bible and study the Bible, this is a big book, if I delight in the Bible and study the Bible, I'm going to be happy? That does not sound very happy to me. I can think of things that are happy. That does not sound very happy to me. Let me explain how it works. Some of you already know how it works very, very well. But in case you don't know, let me explain how this works. The reason it'll make you happy is that when you read the Bible and trust the Bible, something supernatural will happen, and you'll meet God. You will meet God in the truths of the Scriptures. And God is the greatest joy you can ever have, you will ever have. The greatest joy any human being can know is knowing God, beholding God, worshiping God, trusting God, talking with God, fellowshipping with God. There is no greater joy. And when you read God's Word and trust the truths of God's Word, you will come to know God. Now, here's how that happens. Whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, you open it up, and the, the central character of the Bible is Jesus Christ. He is center stage. Spotlights on him. The Messiah promised in the Old Testament, and then what happened because he, because he came described in the New Testament, it's Jesus. And the reason Jesus is on center stage is because Jesus solves our biggest problem, which is we've all rebelled against God and we face his judgment forever. And God loves us. And he sent Jesus to be born as a baby, to grow up, to go to the cross, and to be punished on the cross for all the sins 
of all who would trust him. So when you open up the Bible and you see Jesus and you start to read about Jesus and passage after passage will point you, trust Jesus. That's the main point of passage after passage, trust him. And when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you trust him to forgive you, when you trust him to change you, when you trust him to fill you and satisfy you, he will. All your sins, past, present, and future will be forgiven, and he will pour his love into your heart. God will make his presence real to you. You will know God through Jesus, and you will find your heart starting to, to change. Sins will be, power will be broken. Love for others will grow. Patience will grow because God's love is so satisfying your heart. That's why blessed is the man. Happy is the man who is not influenced by sinful people, but delights in and studies the law of the Lord. That's how it works. That's the first reason. Because if we do this, we'll be blessed. You will be happy. Because God is your highest joy, and you'll meet God through Jesus. Second reason, verse 3. It's because if we do this, we will be well-watered, fruit-bearing trees well-watered, fruit-bearing trees. Look at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, underline that word prospers in your Bible. We could think that what that means is that our lives, therefore, will be lives of comfort, and ease, and no problems. You could think that, but that's not what it means. That can't be what it means, because throughout the Bible, we see men and women who were not influenced by sinful people. We see men and women who delighted in God's Word and studied God's Word who experienced significant trials. I want to make sure we're clear on this so that nobody has the wrong idea, and so that when trials come, you think, God lied to me. It's not what prospers means. Prospers does not mean no trials. I mean, think about Joseph in the Old Testament who was in, in prison for years, remember, in Egypt? Think about John the Baptist who had his head cut off for telling the truth to the king. And he was killed as a result. So what does it mean to prosper then? I think what it means to prosper is to have your life overflowing with blessedness, being blessed, joy in God, which is mentioned in the very first verse, overflowing with joy in God, and overflowing with love for others, fruit. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. So I think fruit means that in every situation you're in, you'll be able to overflow with joy in God, being blessed, happy in God, and love and care for others. We love others because He first loves us. That's, that's the fruit fruit of joy in God and love for others. Now, let me tell you how this worked for me this last week. Uh, this last week, I had one day in particular when I was just really discouraged, um, feeling just discouraged, which is a little frightening to me because, I mean, everything is going so well. There's so much to be encouraged about, but you know how that can happen sometimes, right? I was just feeling like everything was bleak, even though it's just... Anyway, okay. So I was like a tree in desperate need of water. My roots were like, there's nothing there. I was like, I'm, I'm a tree out in the Leewood Desert, okay, where the kids are camping this weekend, okay? My leaves were like, that's called withering, okay? My leaves were withering. 
No fruit of joy in God. No fruit of love for others. You know how that is, right? We're, we're, we're all trees, and we need water. And I didn't have any water. My leaves were withering. There was no fruit. So what do we do at those times when we are trees and we are not receiving the water that we need? Well, what could I have done? I could have tried self-pity. Anybody ever try self-pity? You know, it's, it's, have a little, can we call it a pity party in America? Have you ever had a pity party? You and, you and yourself pitying, you know, right? Try a pity party. Okay, so your roots are going down into that pity and no water there, right? There's no water there. I mean, I, I could try just grumbling and kind of being snarky to the people around me. Okay, so you, right, you're trying to sink your roots down into that snarkiness. No water there, right? How about... I think I need to go to the mall and just buy something. Just go and buy something. That's going to sink my roots down into that. And then it's like, that's, listen, there's no water there either. Is it, okay? No matter what the commercials tell you, there's no water there. All right. But Psalm 1 says that if I will delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his word, study his word, read his word, I will be like a tree planted by water. I will find water. And that's what God did by his mercy. He, he directed me to Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. Here's what Psalm 40 says. The author is in a dry time. He calls it the pit of destruction. He's in the pit of destruction. He's in miry clay. That's the metaphor he's using in this passage. Here's what he says. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction. Isn't that awesome? He brought me up out of the pit of destruction. You've experienced that. If you're trusting Jesus, you know what that is. Beautiful. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. And what happened was, as I read this passage, quoted this passage, prayed this passage, preached this passage to myself, I found water. <laughs> leaves, hmm, happy leaves, okay? And joy in God returned, and love for others was strengthened. That's what the author is talking about here. When we do this, a second reason we should do this is because when we do, we will bear fruit. We will find water. We'll bear fruit. Our leaves will not wither. Fruit of joy in God and love for others will be there. No matter what the trials that come, you'll be able to regain your fruit. You'll be able to regain happy leaves. You'll be able to regain the water that you're looking for. Now, the next step in studying this passage is to understand how every part of Psalm 1... Wait a minute, I just did that one. Here we go, sorry. Ah, there's a third reason, yes. Those are the first two reasons. Third reason. This is very sobering. Verse 4, we won't be like chaff driven away by the wind. Look at verse 4. The wicked are not so. That is, the wicked do not bear fruit of joy in God and, and love for others. The wicked are not so, 
because they're not delighting in the law of the Lord. They're not meditating on God's Word. They're not trusting in Jesus. So the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, what is chaff? We don't really deal with chaff much. Chaff, if you're grinding wheat, chaff is everything except for the little grain. So it's, you've got the grain of wheat, which is where all the, all the yummy stuff comes from, like bread and whatever else. And chaff is the husk and all the other parts that are around, around the wheat. And chaff is dry and worthless. Okay, it doesn't accomplish anything. And so what the author is saying here is that if we don't delight in God's Word and study God's Word, we will be so waterless, we'll be so dried up, we'll be like dried up chaff, which is worth nothing. Now, some of you might be feeling that way right now. It's like, uh, that, that'd be me. Well, I've got good news for you here. Sink your roots into Jesus. Open up the Scriptures. See who He is. Preach the truth of Jesus to yourself. Trust Him. Ask Him to help you. Living water will come. But here's the third reason. We, if we do this, we won't be like chaff driven away by the wind. Fourth reason, verse 5, because the wicked won't stand before God's judgment or be part of God's people. Look at verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment because they're like chaff, which is worth nothing before God. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. They will be judged. Nor will sinners stand in the congregation of the righteous. So because the wicked do not delight in God's word, they do not study God's Word. They don't learn about Jesus, put their trust in Jesus. They're not getting any water, and so there's no fruit of joy in God, outflowing love for others, and they will, as a result, face God's judgment. So they will not stand in the judgment. God's judgment is coming at the end of history, and the wicked will not be able to stand. They will be swept away by the flood of God's judgment. It's tragic to think about. But there will be, according to verse 5, the congregation of the righteous. There will be God's people. So the question is, how do I become part of the congregation of the righteous who do not face any judgment from God? The congregation of the righteous, they're loved by God. God is singing over them. He's full of joy in them. He has saved them. He loves them. He welcomes them into heaven. Welcome, good and faithful servant. So how do you become part of the, the righteous? Well, we know we're part of the righteous because we are not being influenced by sinful people, and because we are delighting in the law of the Lord, and because we're studying the law of the Lord, God's Word. That's how you know you're, you're part of the congregation of the righteous. But that's a crucial reason, the fourth reason. Don't be influenced by sinful people. Instead, delight in and study God's Word because the wicked won't stand before God's judgment or be part of God's people. Fifth reason, verse 6. Do this because... The Lord cares for the righteous, but destroys the wicked. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is very similar to verse 5. The, the word knows here means cares, cares about. God doesn't just know who you are, what you're doing. He cares. He loves you. He loves you. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. How do you know you're righteous? Because you've trusted the message of the scriptures, to trust Jesus to pay for your sins, to trust Jesus' gift of perfect righteousness, to trust his power to help you grow in actual righteousness. The Lord cares for the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So that's the fifth and last reason, because the Lord cares for the righteous, but destroys the wicked. 
Now, what this means is we've looked at the main point in Psalm 1, which is don't be influenced by sinful people, but delight in and study God's Word. And we've seen five reasons given here. Because you'll be blessed, because you'll be a well-watered, fruit-bearing tree. You'll always find water no matter what trials you're facing. You won't be dried up worthless chaff because you are finding the water. You won't face God's judgment because you'll be part of God's people, and you'll be cared for and not destroyed by God. So there's five reasons. So do you see how, how we've walked through Psalm 1? See how this works? We've said, what's the main point? And then how does the rest of the passage explain that main point or give reasons for that main point? And we saw that there's five reasons given in this passage for that main point. So there's still a lot more to study in Psalm 1. I mean, the scriptures are deep. We can keep meditating on Psalm 1 the rest of eternity and learning and seeing new things, but you've got the basic framework now. This is what's going on in Psalm chapter 1, main point and five reasons given for the main point. Now then the next step, we're not done yet, is to explain in your own words the main point and how the rest of the passage supports or explains the main point. Why would I say explain it in your own words? This is what my father used to, used to teach when he was in seminary. I think this is so helpful. He used to say, unless you can explain something in your own words so that a junior higher, like an 11-year-old, 12-year-old can understand it, you haven't really figured it out yet. Keep working on it. So true. Do you see how true that is? We can say, well, you're not supposed to walk in the counsel of the, of the, of the wicked. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means don't, don't be influenced by sinful people. There's dozens of ways that, that could happen. So we need to put these things into our own words. Now, I've already done that this morning, already earlier in, in, in what I said. Let me just repeat. So here, here was my attempt to put it in my own words so that an 11-year-old would understand. Don't be influenced by sinful people, but instead delight in and study God's Word. It's pretty simple, right? So maybe you could put it better. Go at it. That's fine. Um, there's lots of ways to put it in your own words, but the point is if you just parrot what the verse says, if you just repeat what the verse says, you may not really understand what it's saying. So put it in your own words. And that'll take some thinking. And oh, it's good for you though, because then you really learn it. And then here's the five reasons in my own words. Because you'll be blessed, which means happy. You'll be a well-watered, fruit-bearing tree. You won't be dried up, worthless chaff. You won't face God's judgment because you'll be part of God's people. You'll be cared for by God and not destroyed by God. Those are the five reasons in, in my own words. So I would encourage you to do that as you're doing your study. Now there's one last step. We need to apply this passage to ourselves. To understand what the passage says is one thing, but remember, remember the man who built his house upon the rock in Matthew 7? What did he do? He heard Jesus' teaching, and what else did he do? He did Jesus' teaching. He obeyed Jesus' teaching, right? And so we don't just want to hear. We don't, don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. So we want to apply this. This should change our lives. So ask this question for any passage. What is God calling me to believe or to desire or to do? What is God calling me to believe in this passage or to desire in this passage or to do? And especially in this passage, God is calling us to delight in something and to do something. Delight in God's word and study God's word. That's what God's calling us to do. So we want to obey the Lord by delighting in the scriptures so we we love the scriptures. Remember in Psalm 119, there's places where the author says, I love your word more than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 
That is so convicting to me. And it should be to you too. Do we love the Lord that much? Do we love the Word that much? But see, that's how much, if we rightly saw the Word of God, the Scriptures, God's perfect truth, the truth from our Creator, He's told us who He is, He's told us how to live, He's told us what's going on in the world, we meet Him in the truths of the Scriptures. If we really understood what the Scriptures were, we would desire the Scriptures more than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So we need to work on this application, don't we? Now, how do you do that? Well, one way, as I said earlier, is by looking over the reasons and praying over these reasons, saying, God, help me to believe this reason. Help me to believe this reason. Help me to believe this reason. And you think about it, and you pray over it, and you preach it to yourself, and you think about it some more, and believe it some more, and preach it to yourself some more, and the Holy Spirit will use these reasons to start to change your heart so you love the Scriptures more. So we delight in God's Word, and then we study God's Word. Now let me give you two applications. First of all, for those of you who are here, but you're not yet trusting Jesus. I always like to say, we are glad you're here. You're, you're learning, you're asking questions, you're trying to figure this out. Is this really true? But keep, keep on that road. Ask any of us any questions. We'd love to pray with you or help you along. But let me give you this application if you're not yet trusting Jesus, and that is start reading the Bible. Just start reading the Bible. Start with maybe the first gospel, the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector who met Jesus, became one of Jesus' followers, one of the apostles. And read what Matthew saw in Jesus. You will see Jesus healing a blind man. You will see Jesus miraculously feeding thousands with a couple of loaves and fish. You will see Jesus loving children, little children, loving them, caring for them. You'll see Jesus calling out the religious hypocrites. You'll see Jesus going to the cross and dying to pay for the sins of all who would trust him. You will see Jesus. And as you see Jesus, if you own up to the truth of what you see before you, your heart will be melted. And you will trust Jesus. And the moment you trust him, forgiveness will come. God will pour his love into your heart. He'll start to change you. And you'll be saved. But start by reading the Bible. Start reading the Bible on a regular basis. And when you come up against passages, you aren't sure what they're talking about, ask whoever brought you this morning or come and ask me. We'll talk. We love talking about the Bible. So that's first application. Start reading the Bible. And then for those of you who are already trusting Jesus, here's the application I would give you this morning. Grow in delighting and studying God's Word. Let's grow in this. We're all at different levels, but we all need to grow. We all here need to grow in delighting in God's Word more and studying God's Word more. We're working on that over these next weeks. So pray and ask God to help you. God, help me to delight in your Word more. Teach me your Word. Open my eyes to see what's in your Word. And then, let me suggest, if you're not studying something else already, start studying 1 Peter to get ready for the sermon series we'll start two weeks from today. Just start reading through 1 Peter. Start reading through what's the main point, what reasons are given, what explanations are given. Just start working through 1 Peter. And then this week, go to a home group so that you'll get more training in how to do this. This week, all the home groups, are, except for the Muhammad Min Zayed City home group and the Alzano home group, those two are the following week. But go, to, go all the time to a home group, okay? Just go, go to a home group all the time, and uh, you'll get trained in how to study the Word, and you'll get 
a lot of friends around you to encourage you in your faith as well. So Grace Church, here's my exhortation to you. Don't be influenced by sinful people. Don't be. But instead, delight in and study God's Word. Because you'll be blessed. You'll be a constantly replenished tree. No matter how dry your life is, you'll be replenished. You won't be dried up chaff. You'll be part of the company of the righteous who miss God's judgment. You'll know God's love and care for you. You will not be destroyed by God. Don't be influenced by sinful people, but delight in and study the law of the Lord. Let's stand together. Thank you, Father, for answering our prayers and teaching us Psalm 1. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us here. I pray, Lord God, that you would grip our hearts with this message, that we would be impacted exactly the way we need to be impacted in this. I pray that you'd save lost people right now who are not yet trusting Jesus. I pray that everyone who is trusting Jesus, we all would, would be saying yes to you and we'd be making steps to grow in delighting in your word and in studying and learning your word. That we as a church would grow in this, Lord, and be strong and be all we can be for the well-being of Abu Dhabi, salvation here, and, and for the glory of Jesus. So come and work, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.